Happy Resurrection Sunday. If that doesn't get you going, I don't know what will. Let's stand to our feet one more time and let's give God praise. Thank God that Jesus is not in a grave. Thank God He's not in a tomb. Thank God He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God in power, in glory, in majesty. Praise God. He is who He said that He was. And He can do everything that He said He could do. Praise God that He rose. Praise God that He rose. You can be seated if you can this morning. Oh my goodness, welcome to LifePoint Church this morning. That video just got me crunk up, guys. It just got me all jacked up. It started messing with my emotions. You need not say goodbye. I love it. Look at the person next to you. Say, hey, don't say goodbye. Say, I'll see you soon. <laughs> I love it. I love that Jesus didn't say goodbye. I love that he said, I'll see you soon. Welcome to Life Point Church this morning. You guys look great this morning. Y'all are a good-looking church. A good-looking church. Pastor Jeremy's just grabbing all the compliments down there going, I know, I know, I do what I can, I do what I can. <laughs> Glad to see you guys here. Um, Sherlock Holmes and Watson were out camping. They were hanging out in the evening started to grow kind of long and they decided it was time to bed down and call it a night and so they went to sleep somewhere in the middle of the night Sherlock Holmes woke up and just looked up at the stars I brought some stars to show you guys this morning he looked up and he saw the night sky and immediately he started elbowing Watson 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 wake up wake up wake up Watson woke up what what what, what is it Holmes and Holmes said, look up. Tell me what you see. And Watson looked up and he said, I see the night sky full of stars. And Sherlock Holmes said, what does that tell you, Watson? And Watson said, well, I guess astrologically it tells me that there are millions and billions of stars and planets and galaxies in our universe. And he thought for a moment, and he said, I guess, orologically it tells me, by the position of the stars, that it's right about 3.30 in the morning. Judging by the shine of the moon and the humidity that I feel, I can tell you by judging on the meteorology of what's happening, that tomorrow is going to be a clear day, and the humidity is going to be low. And just for kicks and giggles, he said, and philosophically, I can tell you that we're just part of a larger universe and a larger machine that's at motion. And then he looked over at Holmes and said, why? What does it tell you, Holmes? And Holmes said, Watson, you idiot. Someone's stolen our tent. All these deep, profound statements, and he missed the obvious thing that was right in front of him. Did you ever fail to see something that was just like right in front of you and so obvious, like you just missed it? You missed the forest for the trees, like they say. Um, it's just right there in front of you, and you miss it, like Watson missed the fact that he didn't have a tent in front of him anymore. You know, I, I sometimes have trouble finding things at home and I'll confess it, I think it's a, a disease that some men develop in their lives. And usually, 
men develops this thing in their life after they get married. I don't know how it worked out for most of the men in here. I could find, if I put something somewhere, I could come back, and it was at that somewhere where I left it, and I knew where it was, and if I left a shirt over here, then the shirt would be over there until I went back to get it. You know, I always knew where my keys were, you know, and, and all of that stuff. I noticed that after I got married, though, that things started to move on me, and I couldn't figure out what was going on, and I would have trouble finding stuff, but my wife would never have trouble finding anything. Like, if I was missing something, I just quickly learned, you go to her, and I didn't know early on in marriage, I hadn't figured this stuff out yet. I thought that maybe she was like this super prophet woman. And I could say, honey, where is my, my bag? And she would go, God, please tell me where Josh's bag is. And God would tell her, and then she would know, and she would come back, and she would say, your bag is next to the bed by the nightstand, just sitting there. And I would think, man, that's not where I left it, but that's where it is now. And she knew where it was. And then I figured out my wife liked to move stuff. <laughs> like I had my stuff that I would put in my place, but she had a better place for it that made more sense to her. And that's where it would end up. Any of you guys ever experienced that before? You guys experienced Some of y'all are raising your hands, and some of the men became very interested in the floor. Yep. Uh, that's, that's an interesting floor right there. That's an interesting floor. I love my wife. I love my wife. I love my wife. I'm not going to... Kelly would move stuff around on me. And... And I, I just, did you ever walk into a room and like you forget why you walked into the room? Has yeah. that ever happened to anybody? <laughs> That's why somebody said that uh, getting older is like this great adventure all the time because you walk into places and you don't know why you're there. And then you get to go on the adventure of discovering why you walked there in the first place. You know, it's part of getting older. I have trouble finding stuff. And one day I was looking in the refrigerator for this. I think it was like salsa or something that I knew I had in there, and I couldn't find it. And I was like, wait, where's the salsa that we just bought? I don't see it. And she walked over to the refrigerator, moved two things, grabbed it, and goes, here you are. I don't know how she did it. I was looking in that thing for like a minute and a half. I couldn't find it. And then she looked at me, and she goes, you know, sometimes you just have to move a few things to find something. And then walked off, and I was like, oh, snap. No, she didn't just do that. <laughs> Twisting the, the knife a little bit. So you know what happened a few weeks later? Kelly was trying to find something, and I knew where it was. So I just let her go around the house looking for stuff, like looking for it, looking here in this room, looking here in this room, and I knew the whole time where it was. And I just let her go on this little search, and finally, because I was waiting for this, she asked me, Josh, where's my, I forget what it was she was looking for. He said, where is this thing at? And I was like, oh, let me go look. I walked straight to it, and I moved two things, and I picked it up, and I go, here you go. You know, sometimes you just got to move a few things to find something. And then I walked away. It was awesome. And I left it hanging like that. Um, but sometimes, like, we miss the obvious things. And sometimes we have trouble finding things that are right there in front of us sometimes. You ever had that happen? We miss the forest for the trees in life sometimes. And this is what was happening in the life of the disciples and the followers of Jesus right after his death. Like they were thrown for a loop. And the answer was right there in front of them. But they were having a hard time seeing what was going on. In uh, Mark chapter 16, if you'll get there, looking at verse 1. It says, when the Sabbath was over, because Jesus was crucified on a Friday. The Sabbath would be on a Saturday. And then Sunday is the day we're all celebrating today when he rose from the dead. So the, the ladies are going out to the tomb of Jesus after he had been crucified, after he had died, and after... 
the time had come for him to be raised for the dead, from the dead. And they go walking out there. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? So they go on this big trip early in the morning to go anoint the body of Jesus and they don't have anybody to roll the stone away for them. And when I read this, I start asking questions. Okay? Why didn't they have anybody to go with them to roll the stone away? Because that should have been the responsibility of those that were devoted to Jesus. It should have been the responsibility of his followers. The disciples should have gone with them to care for the body of their Savior. And then another question that I've got is, okay, well, the disciples weren't there. Why were they going to anoint a dead man's body anyway when Jesus told, him, told them all that he was going to be raised from the dead? Why would you go on the day that Jesus was supposed to come back from the dead to anoint a dead man's body for burial? The truth is that the disciples were scattered. When Jesus died, they took off and they ran and they hid. And these women were walking to a tomb fully expecting to see a dead man's body in there because something had happened to them that had just derailed their whole process of thought and their whole belief system. See, Jesus was dead. And we've got the benefit of the story. We've got the benefit of showing up on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, and celebrating that Jesus had risen from the dead. But this was happening to them in real time, in real life, and it was playing out. And they had seen Jesus put on trial. And they had seen Jesus beaten with a cat of nine tails and beaten until he was beyond recognition as a human being. They had seen Jesus hung up on a cross and tortured to death until he died by being crucified. They had seen all of that stuff happen. They saw him taken down. They, saw, they knew that he had been placed in there. Jesus was dead, and it rocked their world because they could not compute how a guy who was larger than life itself could be dead now. It just messed them up. I mean, this is Jesus you're talking about. This is the guy that they had served with and followed, whether they were a close disciple or a distant follower. People knew who he was. He was larger than life. This was the Jesus that they had seen walk around and silence the Pharisees with his wisdom. This is the Jesus that they had seen walk around and just speak to or put his hands on a person and see blinded eyes open up. This is the Jesus that caused deaf ears to open up. This is the Jesus that would cast demons out of people and the demons would shriek in fear because they recognized the authority and the power that he had. This is the Jesus that did the miraculous every day and they saw it. This is the Jesus that could walk up to a crippled person or a paralyzed person, reach out and grab them by the hand, and immediately bones would start to straighten. Joints would pop back into place. Muscles would strengthen up and they would get up and they would walk away healed. This is the Jesus that could do all of those things. This is the Jesus that raised the dead. How do you have the power to speak into a tomb and say, Lazarus, come forth. 
and watch a dead man come out and then be dead yourself. They couldn't compute what was going on. Because they had seen this guy do so many powerful things and they recognized who he was. And all of this stuff had happened. And they weren't prepared for him to really die. For him to really not be there. For him to be off that cross and dead in a tomb. They couldn't see past what happened to see what God was doing through the process. They couldn't see past what was happening. They got caught up in what was going on. They got caught by something that was unexpected to them because, see, they expected Jesus to be the Messiah, which he was, but they expected him to have a different strategy than he did. And he told them what was going to happen, but they expected Jesus to set up shop and be the Savior, King, and Ruler of Israel, and they didn't expect him to go anywhere. They expected him to rule on from then on through eternity and that Israel was going to return to prominence and be the national, be the global leader, the global kingdom, because the Messiah had come, and he was going to rule and carry out and fulfill all prophecy about him. But that wasn't Jesus' plan. Now, sometimes God's got a different plan than we've got for ourselves. And God likes to do things differently. And sometimes life just happens. And this happened, and it caught them in a really... In, in, a, in a way, it blindsided them. It's just unexpected. You ever have something unexpected happen to you in life? If you haven't, you haven't lived long enough yet. Give it a minute, and it's going to happen. Life has got a way of just throwing unexpected things at us, you know. And sometimes, if we're not careful, those unexpected things can come in, and they can derail our belief system and derail our process of thought and get us distracted and get us off point and get us off focus. And we can find ourselves in a scenario like the disciples were in right here. I didn't expect the accident to happen. They just pulled out in front of me and there was nothing I could do. Now I don't have a car. I got to figure out what to do. I didn't expect it to happen. You don't expect the accident to happen. You don't expect to break the arm. You don't expect to break the leg. You don't expect the doctor to tell you that you've got cancer or there's a condition with your thyroid. You don't expect the doctor to give you those bad, the bad news. It comes unexpectedly. You don't expect your teenager to be struggling and dealing with depression and barely getting out of bed to make it to school and dreading going to school. You don't expect to have to walk through something like that with a child. Sometimes that stuff happens, doesn't it? I didn't expect my spouse to look at me and tell me that they've been cheating on me. When something like that happens, you get blindsided and now you're trying to put together the pieces of your heart and your life and figuring out whether it's worth trying to save the marriage and what the next step is going to be. And when this unexpected stuff happens, it knocks you off rhythm. I didn't expect to be in my 30s and be divorced again. But here I am. Sometimes the unexpected can happen, and it impacts us. I didn't expect to lose the job. I wasn't expecting to lose that loved one. I wasn't expecting it. 
to happen. And then suddenly, what we don't expect happens. And it derails our process. And it messes up our belief system. And it affects us from that moment on. And this is what was happening with the disciples, right? They, because they weren't expecting what happened. It had just thrown them for a loop. And these people that were fearlessly following Jesus were now hiding because this leader, this, this, I mean, this larger-than-life guy was now in a tomb. And they didn't know how to process any of that. And Jesus had told them, he told them what was going to happen. He said, look, guys, this is going to happen. I am going to die. Those crazy people out there are going to crucify me, and I am going to die. But don't worry, because three days later, I'm going to be risen from the dead. He told them that on more than one occasion, but they had forgotten what he spoken because they were impacted and distracted by something that was unexpected to them. See, Jesus knew that in order for there to be a resurrection, there had to be a cross. And that he was going to have to die. In order for him, in order for him to give us something that no other religious group in the world has, he was going to have to die and then be risen from the dead three days later. No other movement in the world besides Christianity can say that their Savior is alive. Can say that the person that they worship is not dead anymore because we have an empty tomb to point to. We've got a symbol to point to. And Jesus knew that dying on the cross wouldn't be enough, but he had to just show that he was who he said he was, not by dying on the cross for our sins, but showing that he could defeat death by being raised back to life. It's a powerful symbol that he had to give us because that empty tomb means something. That empty tomb means he beat death. It means he beat hell. It means he beat the grave. That means that we now have the freedom because we know without a shadow of a doubt because he got up out of that tomb that what he said was true and he is who he says that he was. It's a powerful symbol. Symbols mean something. Symbols mean something. You can look at a symbol and there's, there, it, there's a representation and there's a meaning that goes beyond just the simple image that you look at. When you look at a symbol. I brought some symbols to show you just to make the point. Like if I was going to show you this symbol this morning. You would know immediately what that represents. That represents goodness on a plate. Right there. We had donuts out in the, the lot. Did y'all get a donut this morning? Uh, if you didn't get one, you better, better get one before you leave today. Um, they were pretty good. But a Krispy Kreme hot now sign is like the bat signal. For people with a sweet tooth. I could be driving down the road not even thinking about donuts. And I see that hot now sign and suddenly I'm just like, you know what? I need a donut. Just pull back in because it represents something. How many of y'all have had a Krispy Kreme hot now donut? You know what I'm talking about? Man, did you hear the angel sing when you got it? You opened up that box and it was like, oh. Just eat this goodness and the skies part and God looks down and says, see, I created this good stuff for you, my child. You know, just magical things happen when you eat Krispy Kreme stuff. Um, you also get a lot bigger, too, if you eat a lot of them. Um, <clears throat> here's another symbol that I brought for you guys this morning. See, I heard a yeah because you guys know what this means. That's the SEC, baby. The number one conference in college football. 
Hands down. Can I get an amen this morning? Amen. Ah. Now, you might disagree. You might disagree with the SEC being the best conference in college football, but that's okay. You can be wrong about other stuff, too, and we won't judge you. Because <clears throat> the SEC's got powerful teams. The SEC has got the Georgia Bulldogs, and dogs in the house. Alabama Crimson Tide is in the SEC. Man, since I heard a roll tide, and then I heard a groan from most of the people. Oh, my goodness. Man, I think the University of Alabama's football program could go away, and there would be rejoicing in the streets by about three-quarters of the world. Three-quarters of the world. And then somebody said they're all Somebody said they're all related. I heard that. I like the SEC because the Auburn Tigers are part of the SEC. That's my team. There's a whole lot of other see, yes, I'm not feeling the love. This is Jesus got out of the grave day. Don't be throwing hate at me for my birthday. So the SEC represents something. I brought some some other symbols. Here's another one. It's this time of the year. The Braves are playing baseball. We got Braves fans in the house. This logo means something. This image means something if you're a Braves fan. It means it's been too stinking long since we won a World Series. That's what that means. Maybe this year will be the year if we can get some relief pitching uh, to do what it needs to do. Um, I, I talk like I know baseball. I watch the Braves some. I'm not a big baseball guy because the season's just too long, man. You pay, you, they play like 8,000 games, you know, and, and they're like, you know, four to six hours long. It, mathematically, that doesn't even make sense. There's not enough time in the year for a baseball season to take place. Like, if there's long, many different games as there are with as long as they take, and as many, it just doesn't make sense. But the Braves, hopefully, they're going to have a good year this year. Here's another symbol. Oh, my goodness. The golden arches. Now, people are confused on whether or not to, to cheer for this because people eat McDonald's food, but we all know that McDonald's food's bad for us. So we don't know if we should publicly proclaim that we eat stuff we know is bad for us. Somebody's eating this junk, though, because they got a sign up there that says billions and billions and billions served. So somebody's sneaking up there and getting a Big Mac and a double cheeseburger and whatever else they got going on up there. Um, they brainwash you, though, because they give your kids free stuff, little toys, and they have this playground. They brainwash you early on, and you see the Golden Arches is a magical playland where you get free stuff as a kid, and when you grow up, you're like, why? Why am I addicted to this? Because you fell, you fell into a big trap. Symbols. You know, here's another symbol. This is a good one. That swoosh right there. What does that represent? Nike, that's branding at its best right there. You got that swoosh. That swoosh to me represents somewhere between 100 and 150 bucks. Right in there, if you want a good pair of Jordans, that's what it's going to cost you. Sometimes if you want a really good pair, you're going to pay a lot more than that. Um, I just can't find it in me to pay $250 for a pair of shoes. I can get a lot of shoes for that kind of money. But it represents something, though, because it's a powerful Symbol. Now here's another symbol. See if you guys can get this one. Can you guess which bathroom is the men's room? All the guys are like, yes! And all the women are like, okay, pastor, you're going to have to come up with something cute here in a minute because you're in trouble. Now, it's funny because women do talk a whole lot more than men because women are more complex and in some ways more intelligent than men are, and how their brains operate and all this stuff. See, I fixed it, ladies. I fixed it for you. But you can tell pretty easily, though, which one is the men's room. And my dad, 
has this sign on his driveway when you, you go to their house. I think it's still there. But it says, uh, no trespassing. Violators will be shot. And then it says, survivors will be shot again. That <laughs> tells you real quick what kind of guy lives at that house. You know, the symbols mean something. They communicate something. But if I show you this symbol here, if I show you the symbol of an empty grave if i show you this symbol it means something to you it means something to you especially if jesus is your lord and savior because this represents victory this represents freedom this represents everything was finished and that my jesus kept his word and i can trust that he is exactly who he says he is this symbol represents freedom for you and freedom for me that once and for all that death was defeated by our Savior, Jesus. It means something. It's a powerful symbol. Only Christianity can boast a risen Savior. Only Christianity can boast a risen Savior because He gave us that powerful symbol. Luke chapter 24. A little bit later in the story, the women are on their way there and they find the tomb and they see that it's not how they expected to find it and they're still thrown for a loop they're showing up to anoint a dead man because they just didn't see what was happening in the situation they found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they entered they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus while they were wondering about this suddenly Two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember, he says, remember. Now the angel is reminding them. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. See, they needed a little reminder. They had been caught off guard and distracted by what happened to them in life. They, stuff happened that they didn't expect, and the angel gives them just a little reminder. He's not here Remember what he said to you? And suddenly they remembered his words. And I'm feeling like today maybe some of us in this place need a little reminder. We need a little reminder of who Jesus is and what he did and what this day really represents for you and for me. Because sometimes life can happen and sometimes things can happen that we don't expect and it can throw us off rhythm. And it can catch us off guard. And it can cause us to live here when God intended for us to live here. And sometimes we just need a reminder to put us back on track. Maybe you're here this morning and I, you know, I'm kind of just assuming that you would accept that the resurrection actually happened. Maybe you're a guest that came with somebody and you're kind of a skeptic and you've heard about the God thing, you've even heard about Jesus and you've heard about this guy getting up out of the tomb and being raised from the dead, but um, the whole deal kind of, you just haven't bought it hook, line, and sinker yet. Like you're just not all in on this thing just yet. And I thought I'd share with you really quickly five reasons why I am convinced 
that Jesus rose from the dead. Can I share that with you for just the next couple of minutes? You got to give me permission. Say, go ahead and do it. All right. Here's the first reason. The first reason is real simple. The first reason is because of a really big number. Because the odds of just eight of the hundreds of prophecies about Jesus being true are one in 100 quadrillion. See, there was a university that did an independent study and they looked at the prophecies about Jesus. Some of them that happened hundreds of years before he was born. Some of them happened 700 years before Jesus was born. Some of the prophecies were made thousands of years before Jesus was born. And they picked eight prophecies that could be proven to be true. That he was born of a virgin. That he was born um, in Bethlehem. That he was born in the lineage of David like was prophesied about him. Simple things like that that could be proven. And they said the odds of just eight of these hundreds of prophecies about Jesus being true are one in 100 quadrillion. But there were hundreds of prophecies made about Jesus. And he fulfilled every single one of them. It is a statistical impossibility for Jesus not to be the Son of God. It's impossible for him to not be who he said he was. And the university proved it by studying just eight of the prophecies made about him. That, to me, gives great validity to everything else that happens and proves to me that Jesus is who he says that he is. If nothing else, that right there is strong stuff. That's strong stuff right there. Here's another reason why. Because of his death. If he didn't die, he couldn't be raised back from the dead. Right? He's got to die. We know that Jesus was crucified and he died. We have accounts outside of biblical accounts. Historical documents that mention a man named Jesus who was crucified, who was dead. A member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, actually buried Jesus himself. The religious Sanhedrin that voted unanimously to kill Jesus to have him killed, to have him executed, they oversaw his burial just to make sure his body made it to the tomb. That's pretty good right there to me. So there is truth and proof to show that he did die. Here's another one that helps me. The Roman guards and the Roman seal. When Jesus was placed in the tomb by the Sanhedrin, the Roman government put the seal of Rome on the entrance of the tomb. That meant that nobody could open that thing up unless they were authorized by the Roman government to do it, and if they tried to do it, they were subject to penalty by death. That's pretty good motivation not to open up a tomb. The Roman guards, another one. When they assigned the, the guards to the tomb, there was about 16 guards that they assigned there. It wasn't like you see in these churchy plays where they've got like two or three walking around guarding the tomb, you know, just because they don't have enough people to play Roman soldiers is what the deal is. Um, Sixteen. Some people say that there could have been more. But most people will agree that there were 16 guards assigned to guard the tomb and make sure that nobody violated it, nobody opened it, nobody messed with it, that it was left sealed and secured. Now, these are Roman soldiers, okay? You do not disobey an order if you're a Roman soldier back then if you disobey an order as a roman soldier you're subject to punishment <clears throat> when jesus 
rose from the dead, the Bible says that the ground shook, an angel appeared and rolled away the stone, and the guards saw it happen, and they all were gripped with fear, and they fell down like dead people. And they got back up. If you read a little bit longer, you'll see the guards get up, and they take off running. They desert their post. That was a death sentence to a Roman soldier. You do not desert your post. You do not leave unguarded what you were supposed to guard. It should have been a death sentence to them. Now, why would a Roman soldier risk a death sentence? I'll tell you why. Because they saw a big old angel roll away a stone, and they got scared, and they took off the other direction. You know what I would do? I would do the same thing, too. And I would hope that I was wearing brown pants that day. That would scare the mess out of me. Some of you are just now getting that. I see that. It was scary. They took off running. Um, now, what happens next is interesting, too, because they go back to town, these guards do, and instead of reporting to their commanders, they go to the religious leaders to tell them what's going on. And that's another reason why I believe the resurrection of Jesus happened, because of the cover-up by the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees came up with this plan with the soldiers and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you some money. You're going to lie, and you're going to say the disciples came and stole his body. They tried to cover it up. Why would you cover up something unless you wanted to cover up something that you didn't want people to know about? So they tried to cover it up, and they said, listen, if you get any pushback from the Roman government or the governor, here's what we're going to do. We're going to step in, and we're going to cover for you so that you don't get punished for what you did. And the guards took the deal, they took the money, and they spread the lies. That's a big one. Now, this next one is huge. Jesus appeared to over 500 people after his resurrection. It's kind of hard to fake that. It's hard to fake that. And we have biblical accounts of Jesus appearing to the disciples and, and to the women at the tomb and other people during times of sitting down and eating meals and walking around and people recognizing him. And he appeared to over 500 people. But not just we don't just have biblical accounts. We have historical documents that say that there was a guy named Jesus who was crucified, who was dead, and then suddenly he's up walking around the streets again, and they don't know why he's walking around the streets after he was dead. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. So we have accounts outside of biblical record that show that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. 500 people, though, saw him. If you try to shoplift something from the racetrack down the road, How many witnesses would it take to see you shoplift before you would be convicted of shoplifting? One, maybe two, three, tops. Yeah, we all saw him do it. He took that hubba bubba and ran, you know. <laughs> you're down. You're, going, you're down for the count. 500, over 500 eyewitnesses saw Jesus after he was dead raised from the dead. It's impossible to, to refute that in a court of law. Jesus is who he says that he is. The biggest evidence that I know of for Jesus being who he says he was and for Jesus being raised from the dead is this guy right here. It's me. And maybe some of you out there would say, no, it's not you, it's me. Because we know who we were before we encountered Jesus. 
And we know the emptiness that we had inside of us. And we know that we spent our lives trying to find one thing after another, after another, to fill the void and the emptiness that was inside of us, walking around without real joy. We might be happy from time to time, but the happiness fades out, and we don't have that joy. We don't have that fulfillment. We don't have that purpose. When I found Jesus, when Jesus became my Lord and Savior, it completely transformed my life. You can't tell me that he's not a risen Savior because he's alive in me. He's alive in me. And I know the change that he's brought about in my life. And a lot of you guys do too. See, Jesus is who he says that he was. The resurrection did happen. It did take place. Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated death. He defeated Satan. He defeated sin. The Bible says when he came back, he had the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Keys represent authority. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, which is another association with power and authority. He came back with all power, with all authority, having completed the mission with complete and total victory. He won it all. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He came back a risen Savior. The Bible says that he has all authority and all power. It says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because he did rise from the grave. He is our risen King. He is our risen Savior and he purchased our complete and total freedom at the cross and the resurrection. Praise God. Praise God. He is who he says that he is. The resurrection from the dead is the great symbol and a great reminder that what Jesus did brought powerful freedom into your life and into my life. When Jesus came back from the dead, he purchased freedom from religion. Freedom from religion. All of Jesus' life while he was on this earth, he attacked religion systematically, always going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees, because he hated religion even more than I do. Because religion, religion kills. Religion is death. Religion teaches us that we can somehow become good enough and work hard enough to earn some kind of good standing with God. And it can't happen. Because if we could earn that stuff on our own, then Jesus never would have had to have come and died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. The religion is backwards. It's backwards. Religion takes care of things from the outside and tries to change what's on the inside. And it can't work that way. It can't work that way. Because you can try to be good and you can try to get control of your tongue and you can try to get control of your anger and you can try to be that better person but all you're doing is you're taking care of a symptom to a deeper problem that's in your heart. So you get control of your tongue and you get con- try to get control of your anger to be that better person and that anger manifests itself in a different way and suddenly you're walking around with unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. Religion treats outward symbols because we're supposed to look good, especially in the Bible Belt because a Christian's supposed to look a certain way and talk a certain way and act a certain way It's this cookie-cutter view of what a Christian is supposed to look like. That's why every week, hundreds and thousands of people 
flood into churches and they look great. And they've got the pretty smile. And they say the right things and they do the right things. And they stand up at the right time and they clap at the right time. But on the inside, they're just as dead as anybody else. Because it's all an outward expression. And nothing real has happened on the inside. When Jesus confronted the Pharisees about it, he called them, he called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you were whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're disgusting. Jesus came to destroy religion. Jesus came to get rid of outside in. He came to establish inside out. He came to establish relationship with God, not a system of religion. Jesus said, all that stuff that you're trying to change and all that stuff that you're trying to work through and all, that st- all those symptoms that are in your life, they're, they're because of something that is out of balance inside of you. And if you'll just let me be your Lord and Savior, and if you'll just let me on the inside, and if you'll just get close to me, then over time, I'll change you from the inside out. And it won't be something that you have to make yourself do. And it won't be some sort of forced discipline where you're trying to be this or trying to be that. Because I believe a lot of people walk away from the Christian faith because they don't think they have what it takes to be what they have in their mind as a perfect Christian. Supposed to be. Jesus said it's not about any of that. If you will just let me begin to work on the inside of you, then one day at a time, I'll change just a little bit. And I'll change that heart. And you're not going to have to make yourself hold your tongue. Because I'm going to take that anger and I'm going to replace it with joy. I'm going to put my joy in you. I'm going to put my peace in you. I'm going to put my fulfillment inside of you. And where that hole is inside of you now, I'm going to fill with my passion, my purpose, and my love. And over time, I will change you from the inside out. And it will be a natural progression of who you are becoming in your relationship with me which is how it was supposed to be all along Jesus gives us freedom from religion now I feel like there are people here today you felt like you had to earn it and you maybe maybe you had the whole deal at one time and you were in love with Jesus and you had a strong relationship with him but then something happened unexpected and it threw you off rhythm and what was a relationship became a ritual and you used to come to church every week and you used to couldn't wait for worship to begin and you used to couldn't wait to, to, to give God all the praise and to let God know He was first in your life. And now it's turned into once a month or once every couple of months. What was a passion and what was real has become a system and a tipping hat to God. Jesus also gives us freedom from sin. Freedom from sin. Not just freedom from religion, but freedom from sin. Acts chapter 13 says this, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through Him, everyone who believes is set free from sin. A justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Jesus sets us free from sin. He sets us free from sin. And lastly, 
Jesus gives us freedom from our past. And this right here, I think, is where it's at. Because it's those events that happen in our lives. The things that catch us that are unexpected. That throw us off rhythm. And if we're not careful, all those events from our past, things that have happened, they become chains that weigh us down and chains that tie us up. We're never able to break free on our own. We're never able to move forward from that moment in our past to continue be who God wants us to be. See, it's that stuff that we don't expect sometimes. Some of us in here have never moved past the day that you lost your loved one. And you've forgotten what the Bible says. You've forgotten that God is your healer. You've forgotten that He is your hope. And you've forgotten that He can restore your soul. Some of you are hearing, you've never moved past. You've never moved past that day that your spouse hurt you. Because it caught you off guard, it was something unexpected, and it derailed your whole belief system. And you were never able to get traction from that moment on. If you tied to your past. And you've forgotten that God can heal and God can restore your marriage. Some of you have never gotten past the molestation. And even today it's impossible for you. It's almost impossible for you to be intimate with your spouse. Because you go back to the moment where they did what they did to you. And the hurt and the pain is still there. Some of you have been hurt by church leadership. Some of you have been disappointed by church leadership. And I can tell you, because I am one, we are not perfect. We can make mistakes just like anybody else. Maybe you're here and that's you and you've forgotten what the Bible says about forgiving. Just as Christ has forgiven you. And I want to remind you today. Because I don't want to see you chained to your past. I don't want to see you caught up in religion when you could have a relationship with Jesus. I don't want to see you caught up in sin when you could have freedom. And I don't want to see you chained to issues from the past when God has sent His Son Jesus to die for you, to die for your sins, to pay the price for your healing, your restoration, your hope, your future. I don't want to see you tied to this stuff. I want to see you drop this stuff today. And move into the freedom that Jesus provided for you. To step into that freedom that the empty tomb symbolizes in our life today. Because we serve a risen Savior. And if He's a risen Savior and He's on the throne of God. Then there's still hope for you. There's still love for you. There's still forgiveness for you. There's still healing for you. There's still power available to restore your broken life. And put the pieces back together. To heal your marriage. To heal your family. So that you can find freedom from the things that are holding you back. If He's on the throne, then there's still hope. 
If he's on the throne, then he is who he says he is. And if he's on the throne, then he can do what he said he could do in your life today. Because he's madly and passionately in love with you today. Bow your head and close your eyes. No one looking around in this moment. I just want to ask a couple of questions.